The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 581 for Cyber Monday, November 30th, 2015. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show that's been described as car talk for Apple geeks, but a little more polite. That's right, folks. The polite version of car talk for Apple geeks. The goal is for us all to learn at least three new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Crucial at Crucial.com, the place where you can get some great deals on memory. We'll talk about that shortly. And iMazing. At iMazing.com, where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. And if you listen carefully, you might be able to save even a little bit more. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How are you, Mr. F. Braun? <sighs> I got to say, I'm, I'm, I found this Cyber Monday kind of a letdown, Dave. And, and, why, and why is that, my friend? Well, number one, I was strolling about town this afternoon, and I did not see one cyborg. Oh, <laughs> that is a shame. That is a shame. Yeah. And, and I can't, I still can't buy one on the internet. There's, there's lots of deals, all sorts of deals from, from uh, uh, various like observer and, and sure. others. Yeah, from yeah. all sorts of people. Yeah. But I still can't buy a cyborg. So that, that kind of irks me. Well... That's, um, I don't even know where to go with that, John. <laughs> That's or maybe I can, and I just don't know the right place to buy one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure you can buy a cyborg. Amazon has them. Go to Ali, uh, AliExpress. You might be able to get them uh, real cheap. <laughs> I'm still buying stuff there. It's, it's fun. I, I enjoy it. I bought the, the stuff that I've gotten. It's, it's good. My family thinks I'm nuts. That, you know, that's not anything new. Hey, let's, um, Speaking of, of cool stuff found and, and places and all of that, uh, that stuff, why don't we talk about some of the cool stuff found that you folks have found in the last week? In no particular order, we will start with Felix. Felix found a uh, Lifehacker article, in fact, about adding about how to add an IP address to your OS X login screen. Which is pretty cool. Uh, there's a terminal command that uh, that might uh, that might help you do this. In fact, that will help you do this. And it's cool. It actually puts you know in the uh, in the upper right hand corner of the screen, you've got your airport status and your time. And of course, if you're on a laptop, you have the battery on the login screen. And then uh, up there with that, this adds the IP address, which is handy for those of us that have to deal with troubleshooting. Sometimes it's nice to know the address of a computer without having to log into it. Um, of course, this, this may present a security concern for you if you ever leave your computer somewhere such that someone who can't log in but would know the IP address might want to know it. I, um, off the top of my head, I can't think of an obvious scenario, but we will put this link in the show notes because that's what we do. And, uh, and so there you go. Pretty cool stuff, right, John? That's what we do. Knowing your address is, is, is certainly important these days. It is. 
It is. All right. Uh, and then let's see, uh, moving on to Steve, Steve found, uh, he says, I've been a long time listener of Mac geek. I've wanted to share the app maintenance from titanium software. The same people that make Onyx. This app is an abbreviated version of Onyx and performs those tasks and is great for those who don't want all the cool options contained in Onyx. Pretty good stuff. It's uh handy. Have you used maintenance, John? I have not, though. I will agree that Onyx can be overwhelming. Totally. For, for uh, newcomers to the, uh, to the uh, OS X uh, club. Yeah, um, I'm going to have yeah, to play with too much stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think it... Um, now, does it do more than because I, I, I mean, we have these, uh, if you don't know this, but um, well, I assume it does more than just the basic maintenance scripts. So these are these scripts that are run on, a, I believe, a daily, weekly and monthly basis in the background. And, and I gather it does more than just that. Or is that what it does? I don't know. I, I honestly haven't run it yet. Um, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm just sharing Steve's recommendation here, but it sounds like a pared down version of Onyx without all the... Uh, you know, with Onyx, you can tweak all kinds of different things and change settings. And I think this is just that one pane of Onyx set there for you. So, okay. And uh, Onyx buried deep within it, it will show you. So, uh, for those that don't know, uh, but most Unixes, Unices, what, you, what's the proper? Yeah, I've heard it said both ways. I've said it both ways. So, <laughs> we'll do certain operations in the background on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis uh, to, to attempt to, to clear out cruft. Sure, um, and there are various tools, including Onyx, that will tell you, will either let you initiate them uh, manually or show you when they were last run. So, um, okay, yeah, it's good stuff. I'm, uh, you know, what we're, I mean, we're already in this, so I'm, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm gonna launch it here because I'm that kind of maniac, and uh, and we'll see what happens once I do. So it's, it's this is real time, folks. What's the worst that could happen? Hey, so actually, there's a tip though. Because on a, a titanium software does not register with Apple for yeah. a, a, a certificate. So what that means is I just downloaded maintenance. I copied it to my applications folder and then I went to launch it and it says maintenance can't be opened because it's from an unidentified developer. Right. And, it, and the only option is OK. And that doesn't launch. Well, the trick is uh, and this doesn't mean that they're bad people or anything. It, it just means that they haven't jumped through all of Apple's hoops. Um, if you right click and that's what I'm going to do right now is right click on maintenance and choose open. And now it says maintenance is from an unidentified developer. Are you sure you want to open it? At which point I can choose open or cancel. So open is what I've chosen and maintenance requires my password. So let me make sure I don't tell everybody that my password is password. And it is the maintenance pane of Onyx. It has the, the, very, the maintenance stuff. It's got the rebuilding things where you can rebuild mails, mailboxes. This is the new tool that we're going to recommend to you folks. And instead of recommending Onyx when we say, hey, you need to go and, and re- rebuild your spotlight index or rebuild your mail really? mailboxes. Well, because this, this is much simpler, right? It doesn't, the maintenance tab is like the fourth tab over whatever it is in, in right. Onyx. This one, it's the only tab. So handy stuff, but it, it does appear to be exactly the same as Onyx, Onyx's maintenance tab. So it just narrows it down. Good. Okay. Find. Okay. Now I'm going to build on what you said, Dave. So some people may be asking themselves, why does OS 10 put up this mysterious dialogue? 
saying it's not from a certified or, or identified developer. Yeah. And uh, just uh, to help you learn something. And this is one of the three things that you're going to learn during this show. So if you go into system preferences, security and privacy, and then there's a general tab, you're going to see at the bottom of that, a category allow apps downloaded from, and there are three selections. And I think the selection that both you and I have, Dave, I think is the best balance between convenience and security. And that the tip you gave is certainly valid, is that if you get something that says, well, I don't know who this developer is. But personally, Dave, on all my machines, I have the allow apps downloaded from. And there's a middle of the road setting, which I I would recommend for most people listening to this. And that's the default, too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Mac App Store and identified developers. The reason that you get this dialogue coming up is that uh, Onyx, uh, the, the Onyx app is not considered to be from an identified developer. Now, there are two other settings. One is only allow apps from the Mac App Store. And I would not recommend that setting unless you download all your apps from the Mac App Store, which I don't. And I, I don't think most people do. And then the other setting is allow apps from anywhere. And I wouldn't recommend that either because that's, it's good to know. I mean, I, you know, I launched this one. I feel okay running this app from the folks at titanium software, but it's, but I, but I have to, I have to jump through that little hoop with the right, you know, either the right click or the uh, control click on the, on the app and do it. And it forces me to be intentional about launching this app for the first time. The next time I launch this app, I will not be asked that question. OS 10 remembers the setting, or at least it should. And if it doesn't, you should run maintenance so that you can uh, clean out your caches and fix those things and get it back to. uh, So there's a little chicken in the egg there, but that's okay. It's all good. (laughs) All right. Uh, Bruce brings us an interesting thing that he found. Uh, Let me see if if Bruce has a note about this. He says, yeah, I found an excellent article at hometheaterhifi.com that highlights several things people can do to optimize their Wi-Fi for streaming airplay. And it goes through some interesting things. I don't want to pick the article apart entirely. Uh, it, it, It has some it has some great ways of making sure you you know what's going on with your wireless network. So it's worth reading through this. Some of the advice, especially they, you know, some of these things where they say you should be extending wireless networks and that sort of thing. Um, I, only if you have to, you know, you're, you're always going to be better off if you can do some sort of hard line between your, your base stations. But, um, but there's some good stuff there. So we will be sure to put this in the show notes uh, as always, you know, read, apply that, which works for you. Don't feel like you have to apply all of it. And, and, if it ain't broke, make sure you fix it till it is. <laughs> Wait, no, don't fix it. That's right. <laughs> ah, anyway. <laughs> what? <laughs> Even if it isn't broke, I'm going to try to fix it anyways. That's right. Because I can make it better. Well, naturally, that's, that's how it works, John. And that's why we have this show. That's why the show is, yeah, we got to keep people well, listening, because, John. Well, because sometimes... <laughs> People are are stubborn like us and and think they can fix things even when they're not broken. That's right. Sometimes we yeah, yeah. break them inadvertently. Inadvertently. Like we try not to. That's right. Um all right. 
So now uh, moving on in the uh, the last show that we did, show number 580, we like to call it, we talked about GIMP for OS X, uh, John, you recommended. And Lauren, along with several others, in fact, wrote in and said that GIMP is no longer something you need to install with a package manager, which explains why I couldn't find it in, uh, in Homebrew when I looked, or at least might really? explain. Yeah, it, because GIMP for Mac is available as a normal disk image and you don't need to install anything extra it's all bundled together now and you can find it at gimp.org slash downloads and the uh the thing says since version 2.8.2 gimp runs on os 10 natively no x11 environment is required so good stuff thank you lauren thank you everyone for for making sure we set that straight good stuff i yeah, like it you 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 can still run it in that way if you want to, but yeah, seeing as it's now native, which yeah. is not a big surprise because it's open source. So somebody took the time and effort. Well, the GIMP group did and said, yeah, let's make a native Mac OS 10 installer. That's cool. That's cool. It, it does still show up in my package manager. Okay. And there are several, but it still shows up. And if, if you want to just, you know, to, you know, be retro, <laughs> you could still compile it from scratch and run it under X 11, but that's true. Mac, Right. It's still released in that way. There's yes, that's right. It's it. Yes. They just, they just made it easier, which makes it way easier. So it's good stuff. Uh, what do you got? Oh, the next one is awesome. So yeah, going to, it addresses a geek, a mini geek challenge that we had. It does. That's right. Stefan writes in Mac geek up five seventy one. listener. Pete was looking for an iOS camera app that allows some, allows him or someone to add a description to pictures taken. John mentioned one app and threw down a geek challenge to name other apps, which I herewith accept on top of app, on, uh, one app. I can read. Don't worry. One app that might not do exactly what Pete wants, but may come very close is camera plus pro from global delight. Uh, he says in the app, you can define exif IPTC keyword tags, which when enabled will then be embedded in the pictures you take. Also, you can apply tags to pictures already taken. The one catch, however, tagging only works with pictures stored inside the app's own camera roll. Pictures taken can be shared and exported through various methods, uh, including FTP or shared over the network. To give usage examples, my workflow with the Camera Plus Pro app currently is as follows. I enable tags for pictures to be taken. I take pictures. Uh, the storage target is the app's own camera roll. I copy pictures from the app camera roll to the Apple camera roll. I connect the iPhone to the Mac and transfer pictures to the pictures folder via image capture. And then I delete the images from the camera plus pro camera roll. I rename my imported pictures based on the embedded tags with Hazel and process further. Hazel has direct support for EXIF and IPTC keywords. So that's, that's actually a pretty good workflow there. It sounds more convoluted than it is because once you import those things with image capture, uh, Hazel will automatically, you can have a Hazel automatically look at your folder and do its processing right from there. So that's actually pretty, pretty good. Hazel's one of those apps, man. Um, you know, I, I, I use it probably not enough, but, uh, I actually use it for our show notes or for our show prep, John. I, uh, what I do with Hazel is I, Whenever we get an audio comment, it comes in as a file, right? And the thing is, 
I need to save that file, but I want to put it in Evernote. But I can't just put it directly in Evernote. I have to save it to the Finder first and then drag it in. Well, I have a folder actually that's shared between us. So if you ever put a file in there, it would do the same thing. Uh, if because if the folder is shared with like Dropbox or something, whatever it is, we share it with. I can't even remember. Uh, any it, Hazel watches this folder, and any files that go into that folder, it moves into our Mac Geekab Evernote group, and then deletes from that folder. And of course, our Mac Geekab Evernote group is shared amongst the two of us, so we've got everything we need, and it just happens automatically. I don't even have to mess with it, which is cool. Right? Nice. I know. So that's a good recommendation. So I'm almost certain. So, so the options that I mentioned were uh, uh, cheapskate options and that I think the program I mentioned was a free gotcha. XIF editor. I'm almost certain that Camera Plus Pro, I mean, the name almost implies that you probably got to throw down a few bucks for it. But Yeah, let me figure out how much it is. I'll, uh, I'll take a look while you're yeah. talking. But if you it. want to embed, so, so um, for those that didn't hear the original question, uh, there are ways and actually almost any digital camera these days, uh, analog cameras probably don't do this, but any digital camera, in addition to the raw photo data, it also embeds a lot of information uh, within the photo file. So even though it's a JPEG or a RAW or something like that, it's going to have this additional info, which you can view with various programs, like even Apple's Preview, um, which is a great general purpose uh, uh, utility, will show you these little extra bits of info. And it could be, most of it is the camera settings when the picture was taken, like the shutter and the ISO and things like that, or additional, uh, uh, sometimes it's location data, which can be kind of creepy if you don't know that's embedded in your photo. Sure. But also it can be information that is relevant to you if you want to index or catalog your photos. And that's where camera plus pro comes in and that you can, it'll let you do that. Yeah. And how, how much is camera plus two ninety nine us in the U S app store. Wow. Wow. So cheap stuff. Oh. Hey, uh, speaking <laughs> while it's Cyber Monday, um, here's the thing. Keep an eye out. And, and we usually post about these when they happen. Keep an eye out for iTunes gift certificate deals or gift card deals, I guess they call them. Because often the $100 iTunes card sells for 80 bucks, And there's nothing that stops you from buying this for yourself and putting it on your own account. They usually come from PayPal uh, via their PayPal slash eBay deals or whatever that was. But it doesn't matter where you get them from. And and I so I stock up on these. In fact, the last time there was a, a, a you know, 100 for 80 deal, I bought two of them and put them on my account because with Apple Music, I'm paying for that out of my iTunes balance. I pay for my iCloud storage out of my iTunes balance. No reason not to save 20 percent right there. And uh, and so that it's a good okay. deal. Yeah. Well, I got a tip for you, Dave, because yeah. I've actually followed this account uh, and actually taken advantage of it. Um, and it looks like there's a lot of people following it, but there is a Twitter account yep. called, surprise, iTunes Card Deals. And there's about 11,000 people following them. I am one of them. And actually, I think the other day I found that they had a special deal at one of the... Uh, stores that I'm a member of, which is BJ's. Yep. And they're like, Hey, if you buy uh, through, sometimes you have to buy online, sometimes not in store. Mm -hmm. You have to buy online, but, but the, this is a, uh, I think a good, I just like them because they advertise the deals. I'm I'm not sure where their gig is, why they do this, but, um, but they do. They do. Um, and jock tech in the uh, chat room at MacGeekGub.com slash stream is telling us that, uh, right now staples has this deal, the hundred for 80 bucks. So, it's a good thing, you know, especially, like I said, especially with Apple Music, not only do you get your, all your apps at 80% or at, uh, yeah, at 80% of their, 
their full value or 20% off, however you like to look at it. Uh, but you know, Apple Music, iCloud Storage, iTunes Match, whatever it is you're paying for, um, you can get it that way. And since we're being tangential about everything, <laughs> Sonos announced earlier today that December 15th is the magic day that they uh, will launch Apple Music on the service. It will launch in beta and you have to go. We've got an article on TMO that we'll put in the show notes. Uh, they uh, you have to sign up for their their open beta in, in order to get it on December 15th. And you can go do that now. You just go into the app and, and flip the switch to turn the beta on. So we'll uh, we'll put that link there for you. But uh, it's going to support. Let's see the uh, streaming from the for you, the new, the radio and the my music sections. And it allows you to have up to, you know, your your six full family members on the whole Sonos thing separately if you like so everybody can have access to their own playlists and of course sonos allows some sharing that's only that only happens in the sonos way so exciting for those of us that live in that world so i'll put that in there too uh let's see what else do we have john oh um i stumbled onto something because it was driving me crazy the uh the finder in OS 10, John, it likes to open windows when you open a new finder window in a very specific place. And it used to be that to change that specific place, what you would do is open a new finder window, drag that window to where you wanted it to be and resize it just either intentionally larger or smaller or just a little bit and then close that window and by walking through those steps, the finder would then remember that window placement as its default. That doesn't work anymore. Now, again, you, you know, but it, it did up through Yosemite, I believe. And, and you can't change what you're looking at. Don't click inside the window. Just start a new window, move it to where you want it to be, resize it to the size you want it to be, and then close it. And new windows will do that. And in El Capitan, you've got to take one more step. Once you do all those things, close it. And then before you do anything else, force quit the finder, you got to do command option, escape, you know, do the force quit from the Apple menu, tell it to relaunch mm. the finder. And then that does it. Yeah. It was driving me crazy because I had my finder windows opening on the screen to my right. And I, I actually hated that. I'm, I'm not going to be honest. I'm not going to be honest that I hated it. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Hello? <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. That's how you do it. You got to force quit the finder to uh, make that change stick. Nothing in the menus, you know, none of that stuff matters. It just put the window where you want it, size it to where you want it. Don't make any changes. Don't change where it opens to, right? It, you know, um, if you want your default windows in the finder to open elsewhere, uh, like, like uh, you know, mine open to actually a folder that I have called Dave's Files. But if you want to change the the where new windows open, you go into finder preferences general and then say new finder windows show. And you can pick one of the default things that's there or you can choose other and have it open uh, wherever you want. So that's how you pick what folder it shows you in a new window. But the location, the physical location or physical, the on screen location is done with this whole move it around, quit the finder rigmarole. We're all Dave, learning new I, stuff, John. 
I'm going to throw another one out here because you mentioned force quit. And that, that is something that is not only available in the method that you mentioned, which I believe is the uh, bringing up the, the special little uh, window there, right? The, the command option escape to bring up the window yes. for force quit. Yes, that's right. But also most apps, though, oddly enough, now I'm looking here on my machine, it doesn't seem to be showing up, but most apps. So if you see them in the dock and you click on them, and you then, uh, if, if you click on an icon in your dock and then you hold down the mouse button, yep. you're going to see a whole bunch of options. Or right click um, on it, either one. Yep. Uh, so for me, I'm just clicking and, and I see a quit option. So most apps and, and applications will have a quit option. Now you should be, and, and uh, oddly enough, what annoys me right now is that the Finder doesn't do this, but every other app that is in my dock on this machine that I'm in front of right now is that... If I hold down the mouse button, I'll see a list of options and I'll see quit as an option. If you hold down the option key, quit should turn to force quit. So this uh, is another way. All right. You know this. Come on. I didn't but know I that. I mentioned it. No, I had okay. no idea that you could, you could use the option key to force quit from the dock. That's cool, man. So huh. f- for those stubborn apps that are... Stu- and a lot of times I will do this, Dave. So if you click on an app, if you click on the dock icon of an app and uh, uh, the app is being temperamental, a lot of times you'll see that it may say like somewhere in that list, it'll say not responding or something like that. The best way to deal with that sort of thing is to hold down the option key and say force quit. If not. Now, uh, on the other hand, don't be too impatient. Some apps, especially my favorite, Dale, uh, <laughs> Dale? Yeah. I've been called well, worse. I, 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 I just combined the words Dave and male because I was going to say Dave and male. <laughs> I like so I it. said Dale. <laughs> but no, you can call my me, favorite. You can call me Dale. <sighs> I'm going to call you Ray or Jay. <laughs> you can call we're me Betty. I'm going to go down that path because <laughs> most people have no idea what we're talking about. But the thing is, I found that male on several occasions, Dave, uh, if you click on the dock icon, will say not responding. And, and the thing is, it's kind of telling the truth. The thing is, sometimes you you shouldn't necessarily conclude that an app that reports that it's not responding means that it will never come back to life. Because I've seen mail do this. I mean, mail is, and we're, we're going to touch on this later with some questions here, but mail is, I don't know, Dave, uh, my humble opinion. You know what I have to Apple, say about mail, Apple John? Has, Apple has turned mail app into kind of a train wreck. Here's what I, I have think. to say about mail. <laughs> yeah, <go. laughs> couldn't help it i had to play a little bit of that song after we talked about it but and we're gonna have some questions uh, yep. uh, talking about mail i i it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fish shake dave i i can't understand how something that is relatively simple in my humble opinion because it's been documented for years imap pop and stuff like that how apple could just with with every subsequent release of Mac OS 10, they seem to screw up more parts of it. I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand it. I think I mail is one of those things people. that's not there, there's, simple. I, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to because because Apple's not the only one. Uh, mail okay. is mail is something that's based on standards that no one implements consistently. Right. Oh, and so okay. here's this All app. Right. All right. Right. Here's this app that's supposed to go out and talk to any mail server including many of those that apple has not 
even tested with, right? And it's just supposed right. to work. So I, and you know, it's like calendar apps. They, they, if, if everybody used the same standard the same way, it'd be great, but they don't. And that's the problem. Um, so anyway, anyway. Okay. So if your mail's not working right, especially using mail app on the Mac, it's not your fault. Probably not. Apple's fault. Maybe a little bit. Is it the fault of the people offering the mail services? It's probably, a, they get some blame too. Yeah, that's and right. I'm looking at you, Google. I agree. And you, I Microsoft. Agree. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and everybody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Hey, uh, before we get to the questions, John, I want to take this opportunity to tell everybody about our two sponsors for today at work for you. Yes. All right. I am stoked today because I am able to share tips that relate to both of our sponsors. And that's awesome. Our first sponsor today is Crucial at Crucial.com. This is one of my favorite companies. And I say that about a lot of our sponsors because it's true. We really are able to handpick these folks to bring to you. And I'm happy about that, especially so with Crucial. They make reliable memory. And that spans out into a lot of things, right? They also make SSDs. But today I want to talk about RAM because RAM is one of the most important things you can do for your computer and Crucial can do it for you reliably and inexpensively. They also make it easy. Here's what I want you to do. Go to Crucial.com. Float over the memory text right there in the top menu bar. Click on System Scanner. Okay, this will bring you to a web page. You click the uh, agree button and you download the scanner. Then once you've downloaded it, uh, go to your downloads folder. You get a right click on it and choose open and then agree to open the app. As soon as the app opens, you're going to think it did nothing, but that's because it works so quickly. It figures out what kind of Mac you have and launches Safari, which is probably still open because you just downloaded it or whatever your web browser of choice is. And then it brings you right to the page for the Mac that you are using and it shows you the prices. And the reason I want you to look at this is because last week I had Brian Chaffin from the Mac Observer asking me about buying RAM for a new Retina iMac that he's getting. And he went somewhere else and he was looking at prices and he said, I think I'm going to go ahead and order this. And I said, let's run the crucial thing. Let's test that. 20 bucks cheaper here for a 32 gig kit. You can't beat that. So you got to check this out. Crucial.com. Check out their memory scanner. This is the best way to make sure you're getting the right Ram. And I can guarantee you're getting it for a great price because I just tested it myself. Check them out. Crucial.com. Our thanks to Crucial for sponsoring this episode. Our second sponsor for today is iMazing, and there's a tip here too. iMazing was originally made so that you could control your iOS device in ways that iTunes would not let you. And that's the foundation of what they do. And of course, they've built upon that. First, it was just about moving music back and forth. Now it's about doing pretty much everything, really digging in and managing this device. But they're troubleshooters they're tinkerers at their core and because of that they just like to help people kind of like we do here they recently published a blog post how to fix ios 9 stuck on an apple logo after restoring a backup this can happen a lot if you've restored a backup 
from a previous OS, like an iOS 7 or an iOS 8 backup. And sometimes you need to do that to get some data out of that thing. The device stays stuck on the Apple logo and doesn't seem to do anything. Well, iMazing lets you dig into that backup and pull the right files out of it so that you can get past it. And they've put up a blog post to explain all this. Their blog is definitely worth watching. It's one of the ones that I put in my feed reader on my developers list because they've always got good stuff going. Yeah, a lot of times it's to serve iMazing, but hey, if iMazing is the right solution to a problem, we'll happily mention it. And of course, they will too. Here's the deal. iMazing, if you're listening today on Cyber Monday, you can save 30%. That's pretty good. But that deal ends today. However, because you're a Mac Geek Cab listener, you can save 20% using coupon code MGG. So visit iMazing.com. Go ahead and get iMazing. Save yourself 20% and have this awesome tool in your arsenal, ready to go, ready to solve the problems that you need to solve with your iOS devices. Check it all out at iMazing.com. Remember coupon code MGG. Our thanks to the folks at DigiDNA and iMazing for sponsoring this episode. And our thanks to NCSU CPE, which I believe is John, not you, John, but uh, listener John, in the chat room for finding the relaunch command in the dock for the finder. Instead of hitting control and clicking on the finder or holding on the finder icon in the dock and waiting for the menu to come up, if you hold control and option first and then click, relaunch comes up. And if you hold control, option, and command and click, you see a subset of items and relaunch is one of them. So thank you very much, John, for doing that. So this way you can do all your moving of the moving around to the window and then right there, control option, choose relaunch, and you should be good to go. It's crazy that we have to go through this, by the way. But, you know. Well, you know what strikes me, Dave, is actually I saw a uh, TMO story, which applies to one of our sponsors that, that we just mentioned here, but the the person that decided to sue Apple because they didn't have a backup of their iPhone before they went to the genius bar. Yeah. Come on, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Stop. It. <laughs> How many times have we told people to make backups? You know, I will point out though, when I went to uh, the, the genius bar with my son because of his cracked screen, um, okay. they asked us, of course, have you backed up? And then you have to sign the form like the, on the iPad that says that you've really? backed up your data. But really? even once I did that, the guy, you know, then, then the guy felt comfortable and started like working with the phone. And the first thing he did was he went to settings and he went to iCloud and he went to backup to see that it said that it had recently backed up. And he looked and he's like, I see you have a backup from last night. Is that recent enough? And we said, yep. Yeah. We're, you know, we're, we know we're good to go. And he's like, really? okay, good. And then he went and turned off, find my iPhone because he had to do that. If it, which was smart because he knew that it was, and he told us, he said, the reason we're doing this is it's possible that once we take the screen off, this phone will never work again. And if we don't turn off, find my iPhone. Now things start getting dicey and we're like, yep, we get it. No problem. You know? So, um, it, you know, all right. So, uh, um, so a couple of comments on that. 
So not not to go too much on a tangent here, but, but so when I went to the Apple, so, so as some of you may have heard, when I got my shiny new iPhone 6S, uh, when I went to my local Verizon corporate store, it was defective. And I'm like, eh, okay, you know, things happen. You know, sure. the battery life was terrible and it wasn't acknowledging my lightning peripherals. Uh, I went to the currently my favorite Apple store in Trumbull, Connecticut in the uh, uh, Trumbull Mall. Yep. And uh, but when I set up an appointment using Apple's uh, online tool, they explicitly said in the email they sent me with the appointment that I made, they're like, dude, please, please, <laughs> we beg of you, back up your phone before you bring your phone to the Genius Bar. Because in all likelihood, I mean, especially in my case, they're like, we're going to swap it out for another phone. So if you don't have a backup, you're. You're yeah. out of luck. Sorry. Yeah, let's do that. Let's take care of that so first. That's right. Maybe this person that that is filing this lawsuit does have a case, but I've found in my experience, Dave, either through email or the geniuses themselves, that you know that, that they almost say this. Uh, maybe maybe this one genius screwed up. Uh, okay, it's possible. Yeah, but it's not Apple's responsibility to protect your data. Uh, you know, it gets into a discussion, Dave, about the state of backups, because, I mean, I hear this, you hear this, um, you know, like even our friend, uh, you know, Peter, who recently wrote a very nice article for us, um, and he works Apple retail. Um, a lot of people, who, especially newbies, and that's not a Peter, Peter Cohen. Is that who you mean? Yes. OK, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. But he works Apple retail uh, at an Apple authorized uh, store. But the thing is, even though it. People that listen to the show, and if you haven't had it drummed into your head, make a backup, please, like now. <laughs> um, your average individual, like my parents and maybe your parents, Dave, the, the concept of making a backup do, just doesn't register. Even yeah. though Apple and others really try to beat it into your head that you really should do this, whether it be Time Machine or iCloud or something, some people still don't get it. And I'm, I'm not saying they're... <sighs> Now, it, and you know, you, you mentioned our parents, my, my dad's wife uh, was having trouble getting her iPhone backed up and her phone kept saying, you need more storage. And so she bought more iCloud storage and, oh, right. you know, which is fine, smart. And then her phone still didn't back up and she's using none of her iCloud storage and she has more than enough. But the problem is her phone sometimes gets, you know, and, and, and this happened to mine too. You get a dead backup that lives on the server for that on Apple server for that device. And it doesn't matter what you do on that phone. You can't get that phone to back up. The only way I've found uh, to fix that problem is to go with another device into um, where is it? So it's uh, iCloud or settings, iCloud storage, manage storage. And from here you can delete a backup that another device has created onto your account. And that's what it uh, it took for me. I had this problem with my iPhone and I, I needed to, you know, just blow it away and then it would back up. Uh, thankfully, she has an iPad, so we're able to do that for her, too. But if she didn't have one, I don't know. I mean, I guess you'd have to call Apple and see if they could do it on the uh, I don't know that you can do that on the iCloud website. Maybe you can. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'm 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 struggling with this, Dave, because it's it's not a. OS 10 problem or iOS problem. It's an industry problem and various vendors deal with it in different ways. Uh, Apple on OS 10 deals with it with 
Time Machine and iCloud uh, with your iDevices. It's pretty much iCloud. Yep. Uh, Windows, um, you know, I don't do a lot with Windows. I'm, I'm not sure what they're offering in this case, but I mean, I know they have a backup utility. Uh, I'm not sure what their cloud-based thing is. Well, actually, no, I think I do. OneDrive is, is probably one of theirs, but it's yeah. um, it's frustrating because it, it still has not hit, uh, I think, critical mass as far as people realizing that they need to do this. And sometimes I don't know if I can blame them. They're like, well, I got my device and, you know, my data's on it and, and I should always be able to access it no matter what. And so I don't know who to shake my fist at. I'll, I'll think about it, but uh, let's get back on track. It, it was just, it, it's just a topic that is near and dear to me because it, it's impacted so many of our listeners and, and, and even family where they lose things that are, 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 you know, valuable to them. Yeah. And it makes me feel bad when they can't get them back. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting. I'm I, just digging into this. If, if you have this problem, which it seems is pretty common, uh, I had it, my, um, my uh, stepmom has it, to delete an iOS backup, because your phone won't really let you do it when you're in that situation. It, it kind of wants to finish a backup before it, it can actually delete it. You have to do it with, you can't do it on the web. You have to use a Mac and go, you can, you can do it from your Mac and system preferences, iCloud, manage, backups and then you can delete the one from there you can do it on windows uh, using icloud for windows and you can do it from another ios device but if that's your only device i don't know how you do it it's frustrating and yet time marches on so we'll have to figure that out i'm sure apple has the ability to do it i don't know how difficult it is to get them to so moving on to simon get we'll get to some questions before time runs out today Simon asks, my friend recently purchased a new iPhone 6S Plus and has just realized he's lost some contacts. During our chat, he said this also happened before when he upgraded or updated to iOS 9 on his previous phone. After having a look, I think the iPhone backed up into iTunes, but not iCloud just before the migration and update. So my question is, can we extract his current iPhone contacts list, extract from several iTunes backups, and then merge them together with the look for duplicates function. Any advice on the best way to get at the old contacts in iTunes uh, backups is the best to wow. use the standard address book or contacts app, or should I use another app like contacts cleaner or contacts manager? All right. So the first thing I would do is make sure that your phone is syncing these contacts to iCloud. Uh, and that would be in the iCloud settings and turn on contacts there. That way in theory, you're going to have contacts synced between your Mac and your iPhone. It's going to make it a whole lot easier to get these contacts back to your iPhone if you can let iCloud do the syncing from your Mac. Um, and I think that's what you were leaning towards, Simon, but, uh, but just to make it clear for everybody that's out there. Once you have a set of contacts on your Mac that you don't want to lose, now you might need to add some to this, but that's okay. Make sure you go in contacts on your Mac, go to the file menu, Go to export and export a contacts archive. That's a that's essentially the way that you're going to back up your contacts. This way, when you screw things up and you blow things away or you duplicate every contact you have and you can't unduplicate them, this is what you go back to. Okay. Did you say backup, Dave? I did several times. Awesome. In fact, I know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, then what I would do, 
and and that so that way you've got all your contacts from your your current phone on your Mac theoretically. Um, then you're going to go and I would actually use iMazing uh, because it lets you dig into these very backups that iTunes has and go and get uh, the um, the you know the the content out of them and you can cherry pick the content and you're going to pull contacts and at that point. I would just pull them in in with the contacts app. Um, the contacts app will read these files in. Uh, it may tell you, hey, there's a bunch of duplicates. What do you want to do with them? And it actually deals with that fairly well when you're when you're importing contacts. Uh, it does. Then once you're done doing that, you can go to the card menu in contacts and say, look for duplicates and let it kind of look there again. My guess is by the time you're done with both the import, which will sift for duplicates sort of in the process. And then also using the look for duplicates thing. I think you're probably going to be okay. If you do need something like contacts cleaner, well, that would be the point at which you would, you would go and get it. But my guess is that you're going to be all right. Um, and that the only third party software you need is something to extract the backup, the, the data from your iTunes backups um, individually. And, and my favorite is I amazing. And it's not just because they're sponsors of this episode. In fact, it has nothing to do it, it they're the reason they're sponsors of this episode is because it's my default app to go to for that stuff. It's probably, it's probably the closest thing to the truth. Um, that's probably what attracted him to the show in the first place. So, so there you go. That's my, uh, I can't live without. I amazing. It's well, I amazing gives you just the facts. Mm-hmm. Jeff. No, seriously. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just love it because it lets you dig, like I said, I mean, Dave, Dave, you and I, we don't have sponsors that make substandard software. Yeah. And because you and I used it. And then, I think you know, someone reached out and said, hey, would you like to sponsor? But the thing is, yeah. they they are the best, in my humble opinion, and I think yours too, uh, the, the best, one of the best learning tools about what is going on inside of my iOS device. Yeah. Because they let you see all this stuff and extract it, as you said. So, uh, yeah. No, it's good. It's good. So I think that's your answer, Simon. I think that'll get you there. Uh, if it doesn't, you know where to find us. We're not going anywhere. Uh, we're stuck here. But not, and it's not just the handcuffs. Wait, what? what? Hello? What? Uh, Tom asks, <laughs> where is Tom? Tom, save us from where we are here. Tom asks, he said, I received an email from a medical records site that I use suggesting that I confirm changes to my medical records. One sign-on option is to sign on through Facebook. With all the past issues with Facebook and privacy, does this bother you as much as it does me? More and more, I see Google and Facebook as data miners more than anything else. Well, Tom, be that as it may, Google and Facebook also offer uh, what they call, or what's generally called, I don't know what they call it specifically, single sign-on services, where you have an account with Google or you have an account with Facebook or you have an account with Microsoft, right? They've, they've got it too. Uh, websites can allow you to sign in using one of those single sign on services. In fact, we do it at, at Mac observer. If you want to have an account to, you know, uh, either sign up for, for Mac geek or uh, post in our comments, you certainly can create a Mac Observer account 
Or you can sign on with Twitter or sign on with Facebook if you so choose. And it just makes it easier for you because you already have an account with one of those. So when you sign in, we, you know, you give it, you tell it, listen, yes, I'm going to let, you know, uh, MacObserver.com sign on with my Facebook account. And here's the data that I'm willing to share. And, you know, it'll say, look, Mac Observer is asking for your name and your email address. Are you willing to share that with them? And you say yes or no. And. And then we either get that information and your account is created and now synced with your Facebook thing. So you can log, you can, you know, re-log in again with that, or it's not. It just makes the process of creating an account in a new place very, very easy because it's just linked with one that you have somewhere else. And Facebook's one of those. But again, Twitter has it. Microsoft has it. Google has it. Um, the only thing Facebook knows about that is that you have allowed them you have allowed uh some medical record site to log in to use facebook as your login but they don't get to see your medical records uh that said if somebody hacks your facebook account then they could get in and see your medical records and yes if facebook really wanted to be uh, completely uh evil they could log in as you and get to your medical records as well so you probably don't want to use Facebook for that kind of stuff, but for things where, you know, you're just posting to comment or something on a website, it's not, it's not going to matter. You're putting that stuff out in the public anyway. And that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, well, is it going to make my life easier? Yeah. Okay, fine. Does it, you know, and is there, is there any potential for harm? Well, not really with medical records. Uh, I might just create a separate account for that site, but that's, that's all you're seeing there. Make sense. Anything to add, John? Oh, boy. <laughs> so, yes, there's definitely something to add there. So, and actually, I may recommend a cool stuff found uh, based on what you said here, Dave, uh, because I've actually seen people saying, you know what? These sites that ask you to take these silly polls and stuff like that, um, when they're asking for your Twitter or your Facebook or other sign-ons, so what they're doing at the very lowest levels is okay, is that they're asking for what we'll call an authentication token. Yeah. Uh, which is basically something saying, okay, this is valid login data that this person uses on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Right. Okay. That's cool. The yeah, no problem. The potential for them, for whoever it is using that token, is that they could do other things on your behalf. Normally they don't, like you said, Dave. You know, TMO uh, will do this. You know, Macazer will do this, and other sites will do this, and uh, they will not abuse the privilege of them having that token. But some may. So, both Twitter and Facebook and other apps um, will give you a list of apps that are authorized to act on your behalf. Right. That's right. I don't have the data in front of me right now as to how to see that. I mean, for Twitter, every now and then I'll look at my Twitter account and I'll look at, okay, you know, this app is authorized, that app is authorized, that app yeah. is, is authorized to use your Twitter credentials. And sometimes I'll revoke them. I'm like, I either don't use this or I, I just, you know, it's it, the less, the better. Yep. And the same with Facebook. And uh, I will dig in. I will put it in our lovingly handcrafted show notes. If I can find it, where to look for that. So, uh, my one piece of advice is to limit the to be careful or aware of what apps you're using 
uh, or what, yeah, what services you allow to access your Twitter or Facebook or other information, right? Yep. I mean, that's just smart. Now, I'm, I'm going to mention what I'm going to consider, Dave, a cool stuff found. And actually, this is, again, something that was brought to my attention by our, our friend Peter. Um, there is an app, Dave. And I, I don't know if you've used it, but I'm going to mention it to people because it makes you aware of who is watching you and who's extracting information from you or who is just, again, watching you. But it's ghostery. Are you? Oh, yes. Yeah. Sure. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So there is an app. And it's it's a plugin on your browser, and it's neither good nor bad. I, I think it's just it's information, but it's basically so G H O S T E R Y. It's a plugin for many popular browsers, and when you go to a website, it basically tells you here are the people or websites or services that are watching what you're doing. In my humble opinion, Dave, this is a good thing in that you are controlling who is watching you and they will break it down as far as, okay, this is an ad site. This is a, that uh, they will break down the information as far as who is watching you. Uh, like right now. So I go to the ghost site and they say, okay, well we have a privacy category. We have an analytics category. Um, if you go to other sites, they'll say, okay, you know, these people are tracking you for advertising and okay. That, uh, you know, it's neither good nor bad. Right. Um, if you want to share that info, great. If you don't, then they give you very fine grained control of both seeing this, but also enabling it on or off. That's right. So we'll link yeah. to that. But but Peter actually made me aware of this because he he said he went to one website and some websites go crazy. But he was like, the, the reason that I looked at it is Peter said, I went to this one website and there were 57 trackers, like 57 individual services watching and I'm like, eh, maybe that's kind of excessive. I actually went to one, Dave. It was a it was a a website showing, you know, hilarious photos from whatever, and it was off of Facebook, and they actually had ninety-eight trackers. Yeah, I me, I know how that happens. <laughs> I mean, and as a, no, as, a, as as somebody who's been publishing on the web for almost twenty years. Yeah, share with me. Yeah, no, I get it. And uh, to me, it seems maybe a bit excessive, and I understand the purpose. I go to your website. I go there. You show me ads. Okay, that that's cool. I'm I'm okay with that. But oh, but then there's you know I'm going to try this uh, particular you know analytics service, or I'm going to try that one, and and these things just add up over time. Is is what happens? It's cruft, right? I mean, it, some of it's cruft. Yeah, some of it's and analytics are fine. Analytics, you well, know, understanding what your listeners or or what your viewers yeah are doing, I, I think is probably okay. Right. Everybody has a different feeling on that. Uh, you know, I, right. I think it's okay, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not here to dictate that to, to you right. or anybody else. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, this stuff does cruft up people. There was a dust up earlier this year where people started getting, you know, I don't know, high and mighty about it. And it was like, yeah, you know what? Lighten up Francis. Um, it, it, it's okay. If you, I don't get high and mighty. No, I, I know I'm you just don't about awareness. Yeah, no. And, and the awareness is good. And, and the, the dust up earlier this year that happened, was was good because it brought some awareness to this but you know, there's some people that just come across as a little bit overly elitist about it and and it's like yeah you don't need to be that way and well, don't get you. me wrong I mean, i'm i'm one of the most overly elitist people you'll ever meet right but <laughs> but so i get it you know i i totally get it but 
It's like, uh, you know, the way you've chosen to run your website means that, yes, over time you haven't built up these things the way we have is not that way. And it it frankly, a lot of it comes down to money. You know, if you're a one man show running a website, that's a whole lot different than running a website where you're actually running a business and employing people and, and all of that. So, you know, these things do add up and there is uh, and, and it's good to keep them clean. We actually keep ours at, at TMO pretty clean. I'm, I'm pretty diligent about making oh, no. sure that we don't have oh, more trackers TMO than we need, is, you know. Yeah. 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 Again, you you want a TMO and, you know, we as Mac Observer and, and Mac Gap, we want to know a little bit about the people that come visit us. Yeah, but if you want to block some of that stuff, I, you know, if you want to block Google Analytics or, or whatever, it, it's fine. It You know, it, I, I get it. Some people have various reasons for not wanting to be tracked by anyone. And it, I don't take it personally. It's like, yeah, whatever, you know, do whatever you need to do. It's fine. it's fine. So to me, learning about it from, you know, our, our esteemed colleague uh, uh, was to me a cool stuff found because yeah. it, it really gives you fine grained control over what you share with the sites that you visit. And to me, that's neither good nor bad. It's just the technology. And uh, yeah. there you go. I agree. I agree. You want to uh, you want to take us to Felix, John? Yeah, you think I would, Dave. Well, I don't know. And I do. <laughs> and here we go. So I got Felix up here. So uh, Felix brings up a very good question. So Felix says, hey, guys, which includes both me and you and Pilot Pete, wherever he is piloting, I, I would assume. Uh, and I'm going to assume he's across the pond, pond because he said my mom's. <laughs> which to me is a Britishism. Uh, my mom's eight year old MacBook Air died on her yesterday. She went into the Apple store in the UK. Oh, he is there. Okay. Hello across the pond. Um, she went in the Apple store to get a replacement. Fortunately, I had cloned her drive recently and she was set with a recent backup. My question is, can we just clone her backup drive, which I did using SuperDuper standing to the internal drive? The Apple store tech said, although you can boot from an external drive, the internal drive will not accept anything before El Capitan. Personally, I just don't believe this. What do you think? Or have you ever tried this? That's bizarre. Uh, I, I don't know if we need the rest of this. Here. I don't think we do. I think, I think that, that no, I don't, yeah. I don't think we do. And then our response, my response, our response was as follows. And my response is, personally, my experience has been that if an OS were run on a Mac via an external drive, it would also work when copied to the internal drive. And personally, Dave, I've done this when I've had to send in yeah. machines for service. I do it all the time. I have, a, I have a desktop and a laptop. And when I've had to have one machine serviced, I would basically clone it with SuperDuper or Carbon Copy Cloner or whatever you want to use. And I would run the external drive because I partition what I do with my machines. Yeah, of course. Um, which many people do, I think. Uh, and I would run the external drive because I, I would say Mac OS X, unlike some other operating systems, not that I'm going to point them out. Windows. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, yeah, well, if you, if you want to get specific. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying random um, words, Windows. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, were you looking out your windows? No, my windows are blocked in this room. It's a studio, John. I have to block the sound from getting to the outside. That's ridiculous. Well, what is a visual 
thing have to do with sound? Uh, uh, anyways, rewind. Okay, so the thing is, um, my experience has been that if if you have a, the OS ten includes enough, uh, or actually, I think OS ten includes all of the drivers, so that if you run a drive that works on one Mac on another Mac, and I found this not in my recent Windows experience, though I could be wrong. Windows may have gotten better since Windows 10 or whatever was out now, but the Mac is pretty much, if you can run an OS on one machine, you can run it on another because they kind of go overboard in including the drivers for things that you may not even need. But if, if the driver is, or the kernel extension, uh, uh, another name for the driver uh, on the OS 10 side is that it'll work. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, what Felix didn't say was that he has booted this new Mac with the clone from the old one. Um, okay. And and so if it, you know that would be the that's the true test. If you can boot them, what the what the what the person at the Apple Store said is is incorrect, or at least the way you relate it is incorrect. But what they may have been trying to say is, hey, look, um, you cloned your old Mac. It was an eight-year-old Mac, so I don't know what OS it was running, right? Uh, if you try to run, if, if you put that drive on this computer in any way, and it's not running the latest OS, or at least the minimum OS for whatever Mac it is your mom bought new, then it's not going to work. But if it boots it as an external drive, it will boot it as an internal drive. It, it doesn't, you know, at, at that point, you're good. And, and that's what you were saying here, John. But you do need to test it. And, and if it doesn't work, well, then what you can do is uh, upgrade that drive, right? You know, boot from mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the installer or the recovery partition and tell it, yeah, go update that drive. And it'll, you know, update that external disk to, to El Capitan and it'll have all your data and all your user accounts and all of that good stuff. And then, boom, you're good to go. So that's what you've got to that's what you've got to check out is will that old OS run the new Mac? As John said, every version of the OS contains or every installation of OS 10. Now it wasn't always this way, but now that we have lots of disk space, it is contains all the drivers for every Mac that that OS will run on, but it doesn't mean that it's going to run, you know, El Capitan isn't necessarily going to boot a machine released two years from now. And, and I think that's what the person at the Apple store was trying to tell you. That's all. Yes. That's all. And to dig in a little deeper. So I actually looked because I was confused because he said, so Felix said, this machine is eight years old. And the thing is, I looked in our pal Mac tracker. And the thing is, there is not a MacBook air that is eight years old. Now, uh, Felix got back to me and said, well, it was relayed by my parents and you know how parents are. Sure. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The thing is, I looked in Mac Tracker, which is an excellent tool. And the thing is, the only MacBook Air that could not run El Capitan was the very first or second. Okay. And they show this in El Capitan. Well, show they, this again, it Tracker. doesn't matter if her old machine could run El Capitan. It matters what it was that her old machine was right. running. You know, so she may not have upgraded. I mean, it may it may be able to run El Capitan. But if she was still on Leopard, well, she's still right. on Leopard. You know, it doesn't matter. 
So that's what you right. got to be aware and of. And as it turns out, as it turns out, I think the final exchange that we had is, yes, in fact, the machine was running, running out copy time. Oh, then there you go. Yeah. So then, then right. that external drive will boot any Mac. That's right. But you're absolutely right in that if you're running 10.5 or 4 or 3 and you try to run it on a new Mac. Yeah, good luck. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, because again, I, the, the, the drivers won't be there, so the it'll do its best. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> good luck. What's I got to say? Well, no, Felix. Almost, uh, almost no. six years old, though, man. Or almost eight years old, right? Because the, the first MacBook Air was released in January of 2008. So we're, you know, a month away from it being I, eight years I old. I got to say, I was actually impressed, Dave. So if you go to, um, so you may ask yourself, how do I know what machines El Capitan will run? And you know what? Apple is just dandy about this. And the, they have a support article that says, here are the hardware requirements for El Capitan. And you know what? They show MacBook Air late 2008 or newer. And as far as I, I could tell from uh, Mac Tracker, that is pretty much every MacBook Air except the very first. That's right. So, so actually, dude, yeah. I'm actually That's pretty good. kind of impressed that El Capitan is so encompassing as far as the, the support of Apple hardware. And, you know, speaking of El Capitan, uh, I, I was I was one of those people that had routine issues with Yosemite where it would just get slow for no apparent reason. We've talked about it on the show here. Um, and I had to reboot it every three days or so. And again, there was no, really? uh, yeah, there was no obvious thing. It wasn't Ram. It wasn't swap space. It wasn't the hard drive being full. There was nothing in the logs that indicated why it was slow, but it would be like dragging windows around would, would be this terribly slow process and typing would lag. And I would just have to, you know, buffer up. It was bizarre. So anyway, I had to, you know, uh, reboot. I think it had something to do with external devices. Thunderbolt perhaps was part of it. I don't know. Uh, and, and there's many listeners that I've heard from that, that had the same issue. This morning, I just restarted my uh, Retina iMac, the, the very same machine, uh, for the first time in 21 days. So And, it, and I restarted it because mail and contacts got weird, actually. Neither one would launch. And it was because of contacts. There was something weird about my contacts. So anyway, I rebooted all was well. And, uh, but there was still no slowdown, you know? So, so whatever that issue was that I was experiencing is gone. Hopefully those of you that had the same sort of wonky symptom, it's gone. I'm using all the same hardware. It's, you know, nothing else changed. It's just El Capitan is better than Yosemite in that way, but you're right. Yeah. The fact that they, that any machine that could run Yosemite can run El Capitan is impressive enough. And the fact that you can run this on a, you know, seven-year-old machine, that's pretty good. Actually, even older, because I've got a 2007 iMac in the house that runs El Capitan just fine. So it's good stuff. Now, keep in mind, you may not get all the features. Correct. Sometimes right. you're not going to have, like, you know, especially the, the first thing that sticks out in my mind is Bluetooth. If you don't have Bluetooth low energy, you're not going to see a lot of the handoff and other, other right. things. But we talked about that, right? You can add that with like a $10 uh, uh, yeah, yeah, USB yeah. Bluetooth adapter. Yeah. It's good. It's yeah, good. but moving on, Dave. You're going to take us to Larry? I'm going to take us to Larry, per your insistence. Uh, so Larry says, well, you know, Larry says this isn't urgent. But to me, Larry, it's urgent because... He's a premium subscriber. We'll talk about that later. But 
To me, it was urgent. So he said, I swapped the 512 gigabyte Samsung SSD that came with my 13-inch mid-2012 MacBook Pro for a one terabyte Samsung SSD, 850 EVO. All is well inside the MacBook Pro, but when I put the old 512 in an external case, the drive won't mount, nor show up in disutility. The activity light on the external enclosure blinks away, but other than that, nada. Which, if you don't speak Spanish, means nothing. (laughs) So, my question is, how do you troubleshoot a drive or an enclosure unless you have another enclosure? Or am I missing something here? Nope. Um... Larry, you're not missing anything, and I I will give you the procedure here. So, uh, number one, I mentioned it before, I mentioned it again, but one of the best tools I find for diagnosing this type of problem, if you want to throw down a few bucks, which occasionally I will do, Dave, (laughs) despite being thrifty, um, is Hardware Growler. This is a tool that shows you the connections that are occurring between your computer and external devices at various levels. And that, uh, if there's any takeaway in my answer to this question, it's that there are various levels of connections occurring when you plug anything into your computer, whether it be inside your computer or outside of your computer. So, uh, hardware growler will show you if you plug in a USB drive, the first thing it will show you is, Oh, hi, this is a, uh, like in my case, Dave, I have a lot of the uh, OWC, um, you know, because we love those guys. Uh, it'll say, oh, OWC uh, SATA uh, or USB enclosure. That'll come up on the screen. I'm like, okay, that's good. So my computer recognizes that the fact that a USB drive enclosure has been recognized. Then what should happen shortly thereafter will say, oh, now I see. Uh, an ATA or, or, or I'm sorry, a, uh, whatever file system type of drive, because you know it takes a you know a couple of seconds for this to happen with USB. It shouldn't take too long, or with anything, it shouldn't take too long. But then it'll say, "Oh, I see this drive, which is of this format, being mounted," and then you should see it on your desktop or in the Finder. Um, now, if you don't want to get hardware growler, you can do this with. The free tools. But you can so do it with the, with the tools built into your Mac. You can do it with system information, right? The, the Yes, you can. So how do you get the system information? Well, one thing is you can click on the Apple menu, say about this Mac. And then if you go to the overview section, there will be a system report dot, dot, dot entry. And that launches, as my esteemed colleague pointed out, a utility called system information. And it will have various uh, it will have a sidebar and it'll show hardware, network, software. You want hardware. So what you want to do in this case here is depending on the type of drive, whether it be internal or external, you want to select the, the appropriate category. So if it's in an external enclo- external enclosure, um, you would click on the USB tab if it's USB or it could be Firewire. So that's, you know, kind of done with. It's all it's all right there. When you when you launch this, you're going to see you don't I mean it's all twisted open by default. So you just click on USB in the in the hardware section, you'll see it. Um right. One one thing that's helpful is this is not an auto refreshing list. So if you have something and then it, what's what I find helpful when you're when you're trying to do this diagnosis if you don't have hardware growler 
there's no obvious way to see that something new has been plugged in. So what I do right. is before I plug it in, I launch system information. I get the USB or the firewire, whichever one it is. I think it's USB in this case. I get the USB part open and I look at it and I just get a, a visual, you know, a picture in my mind of what everything is. You don't have to jot it all down, plug the new thing in and then do a, uh, from the file menu, you can do a refresh information, refresh information, or you can just hit command R and that will refresh the list that you're on. And instantly you'll see if something new is in there. And then, you know, to your point, John, about where you want to see is it sees the, the enclosure. Does it see that there's a drive connected to it? Click on it. And you'll see if there's a drive, it'll, it'll be obvious that there's the, there's a, a volume there and what it sees and all of that stuff. And if it doesn't, then you know that the enclosure is being seen, but the drive is not. Uh, it gets a little weirder when you've got SSDs because sometimes the enclosure isn't even seen. If the SSD itself is bad, there, there's, there's different things that go on, but that's, um, right. That's the easiest way so, to do that. If you don't have hardware growler. Right. So thank you for crystallizing that. So the thing is you will see, in all cases, hopefully, if the enclosure is working, you will see the enclosure. But if the drive is for whatever bizarre reason, either blown up or not connected properly, you will not see a subsequent, uh, and I think in my case, uh, I'm trying to look here, but I think it was like volume information. That yeah. means you will see typically a in the entry for the, the piece of hardware, you will see below that if it sees a disk, you will then see below that information similar to the heading I gave, which is like volume information. If you don't see that, then I think the conclusion is that your drive is shot. One, one additional piece of troubleshooting, uh, in this case, hardware that I would add to this is Otherworld Computing has a, a little, it's a little box called the Voyager. And what it's built for, it, you can get it for 30 bucks um bare naked if you will uh plugs in via usb you can get one that does firewire but that adds like uh 40 bucks to the price uh it plugs in usb and it's an external drive enclosure that you don't have to screw things into but it holds the disc and it'll hold two and a half or three and a half inch sata drives no problem it's uh you just drop them in the top turn the thing on and then it mounts the drive and it's a great thing to have around if you're doing any troubleshooting or moving data around from, you know, different drives and you don't want to have to mess around with a screwdriver. And you also, they also have the, you know, USB drive adapter, but this is a, a, a little safer if you're going to use something for a slightly longer period of time and you just don't want to leave a bare drive laying on your desk. This thing will hold it up. It's still a bare drive, but, uh, but it makes troubleshooting easier. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And for 30 bucks, it, it's worth having around. I've got one on my desk. I probably use it, you know, half a dozen times a year, not quite every month, but uh, there's always some reason I need to test a drive. It's really nice to have that right there, always plugged in, ready to go. So I'll throw that out there too. Good stuff. Well, I guess the takeaway is just because you see a blinking light. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. That's right. <laughs> who, who knows what the blinking light means? Right. And that it doesn't mean your drive is working. That's right. It may mean, and I think in this case, it meant the enclosure is working great and it's struggling <laughs> to talk to the drive, but it can't. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's right. That's right. 
Um, a quick one from listener Mike via Twitter. He said, I'm frustrated. Uh, after a year of health data, I had to swap out my iPhone 5S at the Apple store. I restored the new phone from my backup and my health data did not transfer. From what I'm reading on the internet, it is lost since I did not encrypt my backup. Is that true? And it is true. Apple only stores your health data in your encrypted backups. Now, there's two ways you can do an encrypted backup. Number one, in iTunes, if you're backing up locally, there's a box. It is not checked by default. Uh, I don't think, but it might be. Either way, make sure it's checked. No, I don't think it is. Yeah. Well, it didn't used to be, but that that may have changed. And, you know, I I haven't. Anyway, uh, make sure it's checked. It'll ask you for a password. Don't lose the password. Let it store it in your keychain if you're really worried about losing it. And then uh, it will back up your health data because the backup itself is encrypted. But you didn't do that. And so I get that, yes, we're telling you to do this going forward. But going backwards... Uh, that's not going to help. Allison Sheridan actually at, at uh, Nozilla cast went through this. And what she realized is that while her iTunes backup wasn't encrypted and therefore not have this information, her iCloud backup did all iCloud backups are encrypted. You can't tell them to not be. And so therefore your health data is stored. If you have done an iCloud backup restore from that, and then maybe use something like iMazing to get the different data from your iTunes backup. If, if in fact your iTunes backup was perhaps newer, or, uh, whatever reason you, you chose to use that instead of iCloud when you restored, but that, um, that should deal with it for you and handy to, to know that that stuff might, you might not have lost it all, Mike. So I'm hoping that you had an iCloud backup and that that does it for you. I think we've got time for one last one. Uh, I think, well, yeah, we'll try this. Uh, Larry, I believe it was Larry, right? Yeah. Larry, Larry asks, uh, as best I understand it, junk filtering for mail.app occurs at two levels. First in iCloud, Apple automatically filters for junk and places the item. So designated into my junk folder, as a user, I cannot turn this off. False negatives can only be corrected by using the iCloud web interface and changing the designation. If the message makes it through there, I will then be subject to junk filtering at my local client level. And if so designated, would then be placed in my junk folder as well, which might be either on my hard drive or up in iCloud or such. Is that correct? Mostly, yeah. says... But then does Apple filter at an earlier stage? And if an item is rejected, could there be a situation wherein there is no trace of the message? And he says, the reason I ask is there's a regular email that both my wife and I are subscribed to. uh, And sometimes it doesn't show up in iCloud, but it does show up in Gmail. So, yeah, it, um, it. That is exactly right. There's there's various levels of spam filtering that go on uh, on the Internet. The first is that the mail server just won't accept the mail from the, uh, from the sender. Right. And that, uh, that can happen for a variety of reasons. It, it could be that the mail server is known to be bad. Um, it could be that the, uh, the subject of the message is spammy. It depends on how the server is, um, is, is set up. Right. 
Um, and it's just how it works. Um, but uh, that's one level. Then if it gets through there, there are spam filters that happen uh, at the server level that also could just throw the message away and say, yep, we're not even going to present this to the user. Uh, from there, then there's the next level of spam filtering, which would say, yeah, okay, this is probably spam. So we're going to go ahead and put it in the, um, you know, in the user's junk folder or whatever that is. And then of course, from there, if it doesn't hit that, then it hits your inbox as it's supposed to. So yes, Apple and Google and everyone else uh, have their own parameters that they use, but they have to be very diligent about this, especially the first level of defense where they just say, no, that server is bad news. That server sends me nothing but spam. We're just going to reject mail from it forever. And, uh, or maybe not forever, but for now. And that, that's how that works. So yeah, you, you do have, and you do have to, you do have these various levels. Uh, it's why it's important. And I'm not going to get into too deep of a tangent here, but if you are someone who for your business or even just, you know, whatever it is you do, you want to send out a mailer to people. You've got to use a respected mail engine. Like, and, you know, like for my band that I play in, we send out mailers and we use MailChimp and they are respected by the industry. They don't let spam through. They don't let you just, you know, blast people that haven't signed up for your list. And because of that. Their servers are not blacklisted and the stuff makes it through to people's inboxes. And it typically isn't categorized as spam. That's on the server side. Once it gets to the client, then things are a little different. And I really don't recommend running two different types of spam uh, filters. I, I, in fact, I, what I don't recommend is running any sort of client side spam filtering because so much of what we do is email on our mobile devices and it's much better to just have server side spam filtering deal with it and that way you're getting the same thing in every place and you don't have this this kind of mess to really? manage really, really really oh yeah for i mean for a decade that's been my feeling on this basically since we started doing this show okay that's when i moved to imap and moved to server side only and it's much better that way All right. so in mail in mail what i do is i have um the enable junk mail filtering box unchecked and i just let i use gmail for most of my email accounts and mm. uh and you know gmail puts stuff in there and, and gmail's nice and i think icloud's this way too if you see something in your spam folder that's not spam just move it to your inbox that trains gmail and i'm pretty sure that trains icloud too that you don't believe that this is spam it doesn't mean that the next message that comes in from that source that same way is automatically going to be not spam but it, it's a, right. you know, it's an over time you're training this thing. So you do need to pay attention to your spam folders uh, and it, it sucks. Sure. My sure. favorite way is to do it with, I, I sort by subject because so much spam has the same subject. It makes it really easy to kind of scroll through quickly. So, yep. That's my yeah, feeling. I still, and you know, I may move away from it. So I do not use mail apps, spam filter. I do use and I may move away from it. I mean, at one point it made sense, but I still use spam sieve. Yeah. I should probably stop. I mean, it catches every once in a great while something and it's a good program. Uh, I have no problems with it, but I, I, I think it's less relevant in this day and age. Um, 
as as was pointed out, um, the thing is, servers a lot of times servers as I think you mentioned, sometimes they will just reject things, and you don't know they. You will don't even know. It. That's right. It's not like you get a note that and, says, "Hey, we did this for you." Uh, on the other hand, uh, the the one finger rag I'll have with Yahoo. So I use Yahoo to channel a lot of my email is a lot of uh, their spam filtering is eh, and that they'll catch bogus stuff. Sure. You know, I mean, most of the stuff they catch that's sent to me is like, you know, yes, yeah, some hot babe from some foreign country wants to meet you. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I know this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The phone's, <laughs> the phone's ringing I, off the hook. That's right. I, I don't need more of this. Right. No, it, it's true. But, but um, it, you, um, they have to do this, you know, and, but, but at the same time, they're not perfect. Gmail, I regularly see, um, false positives in the, or false negatives. Oh, I do. In my spam like, folder. As of late. Yeah. And and the thing is I found, so, you know, TMO is done through Gmail and, uh, or at least my TMO email, uh, is done, you know, through Gmail. And every now and then I have to, because I have a manual forward to Yahoo Every now and then I've had to go there because actually I had one trade show where actually I've had a couple of vendors actually say, did you get my email about this? And I'm like, well, no. no. And I look and for whatever reason, Gmail classified a legitimate you know, communication from a vendor or a trade show as spam. And I'm like, well, no. Yeah, but they, it may not have been. And I'm like, it may not have been I, I look sent and I'm legitimately. Like, I, can underst- uh, I mean, they may take the list from a broker that. Well, they, they didn't like. No, if they take it's the a, list, it's a, it's a complex problem. Right. No, I get it. Yeah. If they take the list from the, the trade event, you know, if they, it, it, it's one thing if they take your your business card, type in your email and, and write you a personalized note that typically yeah. doesn't get caught by Gmail. But a lot of things where it just comes from a blast when they're doing it with some, you yeah. know, in-house ad hoc, do it yourself server. It, Gmail's going to say no. You know, we know that that we, we they they. They yeah. see this stuff and they can automatically filter that stuff. And, and, oh, they, no, and, it, you know, and I see to. this. If I go to the web and, and if I go to the web interface, they'll say this was classified as spam because and a lot of times they'll explain. It's yeah. like because a lot of other people said they thought this was spam, too. And it's like, well, OK, OK, sure. yeah, you know, crowdsource spam detection. I get it. And sometimes it is like, you know, especially like, you know, as of late, I mean, forwarded to my, you know, the, the, to my Yahoo account. It's stuff from classmates. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey. oh, one person that you knew 15, 20 years ago said they recognized you. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Okay. So sure. there is one additional service that I use and could not live without to manage my email. And it's called SaneBox. And, and really? I've been using them for years. We mentioned them for the first time. It was a listener to the show that, uh, that told us about him and it was a cool stuff found and I signed up and I haven't stopped and now I couldn't stop. So what Sanebox does is it logs into your email account and monitors the mail that comes in. So it looks at your inbox. It also looks at your spam box. I'll get to that in a second, but it looks at your inbox and says, okay, I'm going to move these things around and it makes on its own. It makes three or four new IMAP folders. One is for like news. One is for later um, and you can, this, you really can customize just for you. So 
when it sees stuff that comes in that it thinks is just a mailing list or something, it puts that in news, right? If it, if it's like a receipt or something that's not, you know, time sensitive, it'll put that in the later folder. And you can, you, this, you can totally customize by just moving things around. If I take a piece of news and I say, no, I, that I want to hit my inbox or I want to hit this other box. Uh, I just put it there and it learns immediately when I train it, you know, when I move it, that it just takes once to train it. Cause it's a service that's specific to each user. Um, I'm sure they do some crowdsource stuff as well, but, um, but if I, you know, regardless of what the crowd wants, if I want that message in my inbox, it puts it there. It also looks at my spam box and will show it creates another box called uh, not spam and or and what it thinks is not spam. And it'll take things that it sees in your spam folder that it thinks, hey, wait a minute, this might not be spam. You know, we know what kind of email Dave gets. This might be something that Dave wants. And I can see that immediately. So it's a really handy service. I think it cost me. It's less than 50 bucks a year. I, I want to say it's like 30 or 40 bucks a year. And uh, I couldn't live without it. Uh, you got to check it out. And they, I think they've got a free trial or whatever. So it's called SaneBox. I'll put a, uh, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the, in the thing for it because you deserve to use it too. And with that, John, our time is up for the day. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com oh. is the address to which you can send all of your Questions, cool stuff found, tips, thoughts, answers, geek challenges, whatever you like. Feedback at MacGeek. Cannolis. Cannolis. Send cannolis, that's right. <laughs> All I got to say is, based on my... We didn't broadcast this incident day here, but um, all I got to say in relation to that is leave the gun, take the cannolis. That's right. Feedback you know at MacGeekGab.com. 206-666-GEEK is the number that you can call if you want to leave us a voicemail. And John, geek is? Cannolis. Ah, 4335. Visit us on Facebook. Go to MacGeekUp.com slash Facebook. That will bring you to our Facebook group where lots of people will help answer your questions. Not just John and I, but the whole community. You can ask, you can answer, you can join discussions. It's all threaded because that's what Facebook does and it makes perfect sense. We would love to see you there. And if you would like to support us directly, Premium is the place to go uh, or is, is the option for you. It was what we created for you. And uh, many of your listening brethren uh, take advantage of this. We really appreciate it. it. It gets you a premium email address to which you can send your questions. And we prioritize those. And really, it is uh, it is for those of you that, that can and would like to help us directly. And that's uh, uh, at MacGeekGab.com. You can see the details for signing up for premium right there. And you can do it in lots Dave. of different ways. Yeah. Dave? Yeah? Hello, Dave. I'm a... <laughs> Sorry, 2001 flashback. But Dave, I just got to mention, we haven't talked about it in a while. The Twitters. I love the Twitters. So I'm John F. Braun. You are Dave Hamilton. Uh, Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. Mackie Gab. Mac Observer, all on the Twitters, but we haven't plugged it for a while. So yeah, absolutely. Cashfly is the place that provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you at c a c h e f l y dot com. Thanks to them, 
And of course, thanks to all of the sponsors in our podcast marketplace. As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, Crucial at Crucial.com. Of course, iMazing at iMazing.com, where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Smile at SmileSoftware.com slash Geek. Squarespace at Squarespace.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 10%. Linda at LYNDA.com slash MGG. The folks at Otherworld Computing, MaxSales.com, and of course, Barebones Software at Barebones.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for all your questions and your cool stuff found and your premium support. Have a great week and don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.